Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. Apologize for not being on the last couple of weeks, but we are back. We got some consistent episodes for you. Zach Weiss with you as always on November 2nd, 2021. In the first part of today's show, we have a special guest we'll introduce in about 10 seconds. Played four years with the Cavs from 97 and got traded early in the 2000-2001 season. And in part two, a recap of the season to date and a look at what's to come when the second half gets going. But without further ado, this is today's guest. His name is Brevin Knight. He was a starting point guard for the Cavs' his rookie season, along with another former guest, Cedric Henderson. And it is a pleasure to welcome you on. Brevin Knight, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Brevin and I have been trying to get this going for about a year. It's great to finally have him on. Brevin's first year with the Cavs, I was about one and a half years old. So I can't say I remember it <laughs> from when I was a kid like a baby, I should say, but of course, you know, I love history and digging into that. So Brevin, right off the bat, you know, your rookie season was a fun time for the Cavs and it still remains the last year for the franchise where LeBron James was not there that they made the playoffs. So some of the highs and lows for you during that year in the regular season, at least. Uh, I think it was, it was all highs. I don't think there were, there were any lows at all during that year. We had, we had a, a fun group, a bunch of young guys running around with Sean Kemp. Uh, and, and for me to be a young guy in my, my rookie year, to be able to, to be playing with a, a superstar such as, such as Sean Kemp was, was a delight. Uh, he was a great vet for, for all of us young guys. And, and so it just made for fun times. Uh, Fratello was, was a pain in the ass coach, but was a fantastic coach. And I'll tell you, i say that. Uh, very fondly because uh, he was able to, to identify our strengths and weaknesses and tailor our game plans towards us being the best that we could be, which, which allowed us uh, to make it to the playoffs that rookie year. So uh, it was it was a fun time, uh, and, and I, I really enjoyed uh, that being my uh, introduction to the league. Yeah, and you came to Cleveland after an incredible career at Stanford where you averaged five assists, then six, then seven, then eight, 780 assists in just 115 games. A lot of people don't understand how much more difficult it is at times with the way the college game is to rack up assists. So that is wildly impressive. And then we get to the playoffs and we're going to backpack, backpedal to the regular season again in a little bit. But you made the playoffs. You had a lot of rookies, as we mentioned. Of course, Sean Kemp. What was it like going against Reggie Miller and the Pacers? Because you guys did take a game and you guys played them really competitively that year. Well, the thing is, is when you're, when you're young, uh, you're also dumb. And, and that's what, it's what we were at that point uh, because we felt as though staying in the six, I think we were the sixth seed, Indiana was the three seed, and we thought that that was the best matchup for us because we were young during the regular season. We were able to use our youth and our, quickness uh to be able to play against them and so uh we went in you know thinking that everything was going to be good played the first game and if i'm not mistaken we won game one uh against them and, and then uh so we we were really on, on on high ground and then we got introduced really quickly to what playoff basketball really is and uh it humbled all of us but it put us all in a position where we knew what we needed to work on coming back next season. And uh, Mark Jackson for me was, was uh, just too much in the post, uh, but also I uh, felt like my, 
my biggest uh, challenge was Travis Best. Coming off the bench, he was a, a fantastic scorer, lefty. Uh, and that, that was a challenge for me to be able to, to slow him down. And they had the bigs inside with, the, the, with Rick Smith. And so uh, it, it was fun for us, uh, but it was also humbling to, to let us know that whatever you think you were able to accomplish during the regular season, the playoffs is a totally different time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's tough. You guys had four rookies that were all a core part of that rotation. Big Z, you, you know, said, and uh, Derek Henderson, Derek Anderson, excuse me, all of you guys played big minutes. Some other fun names on there. You had Danny Ferry, Bob Sura, and of course, former future NBA coach of the year, Scott Brooks playing his one year with the Cavs. But let's flash back a bit here, Brevin. It was very early in the season. I believe it was game number 12. And you put up a stat line that was very impressive for a guy so early in his career. You had 12 points. You had four steals. You had 20 assists. So obviously guys have to make shots in order for an assist to register. But what was clicking for you that night? And is that one of your favorite games you ever played in the NBA during your long career? Well, all, all of those big assist nights are fun nights for me. I always say that I got a lot more joy out of of those games than any type of scoring game for me because uh, as being a consummate point guard, I always got the, the, the joy out of seeing others have success. And so, uh, yes, I have to make the right plays. They got to make the shots, but there's a rhythm that you are in with the game that enables you to find guys, but also put them in positions where they can be successful. So uh, from, from that game, the memory was, it was one in which, we were all just in tune. I was in tune with everything that was going on that night. Guys were in rhythm with the shots that they were able to get. And, and, and so it just becomes a matter of the good thing is you, Fratello thought enough of me to play me enough minutes that I had the opportunity to be able to go out and do that. And then from there, it's just a matter of knowing your guys. And I took a lot of pride in, in understanding how to make my teammates better. And I thought that that was a strength of mine is the reason why I was going to enable me to have an NBA career and, and things worked out that way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's talk about Junis Ligowskis here for a minute, a guy that injuries really plagued his first six or seven years. He missed a full season. He missed long chunks of other seasons. But during that 97, 98 year, it seemed like he was a steady presence. He ended up having a great career. So my question for you, Brevin, is it two, is that two prong? Uh, first prong I'll give you is what was he kind of like as a guy around being around the team? And the second part of that, if injuries did not get in the way, could we be talking about him as a possible NBA Hall of Famer or all-time great big? Uh, first off, it, it was uh, a, a, a joy to be able to play with Z. Um, but it was even more of a joy to become friends with Z. And I say our little clique when we were uh, playing was myself, Cedric Henderson, Z, and V, Vitaly Potapenko. And now you are talking about four people from the most different backgrounds that you can find that then found common ground, first in basketball, being teammates, but then just as human beings as people, um, to be able to forge those friendships. And so I, I, I enjoyed the dinners that we would, we would have together, being on the road, 
uh, with Z was always fun. But then playing in games, uh, it was it was the first time that I was able to play with a bona fide pick and pop center um, that could shoot the ball as well as he could, but also was fantastic at playing out of the post. Uh, and, and if not for the foot uh, situations that he had to have, he would no doubt uh, be a shoe-in for a Hall of Fame. Yeah, very, very glad to hear that. I definitely agree with that. And since I was 10, I've had a signed Dolgowskis jersey hanging up over my wall from, I think, the 06, 07 season. Always been one of the favorites of mine, and I would have loved to see him. He got, didn't get the green light to shoot threes until the very late stages of his career. And even then, centers were still getting benched for doing that. But there's no doubt I'd love to see what he could have been in the modern game. And well, so, the thing was for us, even but with us, when we that our first couple of years, it was it was fine for him to be the pick and pop guy because Kemp would play in the low post a lot, and so Z would be our more perimeter big, and and Kemp would play inside. But the good thing was you could also invert that to where now Kemp would play on the perimeter because he was so good with the basketball and making moves, and then Z could go inside. It was. I, I thought it was just a, a, a nice combination to play with. And especially back then, big men shooting 15-footers, I remember, even as late as 2005-06 was almost a big deal, where you have a guy that can go outside the paint and make shots, and he's not a one through three. Of course, the game is very different now. So my last question for you uh, from Cleveland, it, it will be this. You know, when you were there, uh, you did not take a ton of threes. You actually made 16 in your career, but you were always a guy. You had a really nice mid-range game. You're a very good slasher. If you were playing in the modern era, do you think you would have worked more on your three ball, or do you think that your kind of defense first, pass first kind of style could have still translated the same way? Uh, I, it would have been a, a more – I would have played more uh, more attention to it in my summer workouts uh, than I did while I was playing, but I, I think that I, that would have been an adjustment that I made to my game in order to continue to stay relevant uh, during these times. But the other sides of my game in terms of the assists, the defense, the being able to make mid-range shots, really the ability to make mid-range shots is all, would be more at a premium now than it was then because defensively, right now defenses are, are projected to stop threes and shots at the rim. All defensive principles are to give up mid-range shots because according to analytics, those are your lower percentage shots. But for me, those were high percentage shots. So it, it, the three ball is something I would work on, but because the mid-range is something that is given up to this point, I, I, would, I think I would have a lot of success in that area on offense. I definitely think your points per game numbers could have possibly doubled as a result. And then the all-star committee would have said, wait a minute, we've got this really good guard in Cleveland and Memphis, maybe in Charlotte, that deserves some consideration. But that, for, for, in a parallel universe, maybe that did happen. You never know. Nevertheless, right. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, numbers were solid. And so from Cleveland, there were a couple other stops. We're going to skip Memphis, Phoenix, Washington, Milwaukee, and we're going right to Charlotte. Charlotte Bobcats came into being prior to the 04 season. I remember Emeka Okafor, the first year they were in NBA Live. A lot of people probably didn't choose them. They, they didn't know yet. There wasn't a lot of shooting yet. But, Brevin, you're the first ever starting point guard for the Charlotte Bobcats in the opener in the 04-05 year under Bernie Bickerstaff. 
And of course, now his son is coaching the Cavs, JB. So what does that mean to you to be the, the part of history, part of the first five to ever take the court? I mean, obviously, look, the Charlotte Hornets do exist. They're back, and that's great. But there was a period where they were the Bobcats, and you were the first Bobcats starting point guard. I thought my, the Bobcats situation was like a career revival for me. Uh, that summer, a lot of teams felt as though I was done in the league, and Bernie gave me an opportunity to come in and train the camp and prove myself. I went into training camp as the third or fourth point guard, um, but but told myself that uh, I knew that I was better than that. And so just went in and, and worked my tail off to, to have the opportunity uh, to start and try to, to get that organization off to the right start. You, know, you understand that expansion teams, it's not as much about winning as it is about setting a culture uh, and, and at least getting your organization opportunity to start on the right foot. And so uh, the, the games in terms of wins and losses didn't go our way, but the way that we played, uh, we played hard every night. Uh, Bernie gave me an opportunity to almost play uh, like I was playing when I was back in Cleveland, but almost really taking it back to when I was at Stanford. But what they asked me to do on the offensive end, not just be a facilitator and not just be a defender, but also be a guy that that looked for that mid-range shot. And so uh, I thought that the, the three years that I spent there in Charlotte were uh, were, were very were revival years for me. And it, it also brought back the love of basketball again, because I think as you start to bounce around for some years and start to lose yourself in the business side of basketball, uh, it can start to wear on you. And so I thought that those those years were those years were great for me because it, it put me back uh, in the mindset of the love of basketball. And it's definitely good to see for you also, for, for me, from a personal standpoint of kind of being on three teams in one year, then finding the stability, no other trades. You finished with Charlotte, then the Clippers in a good solid year with the Jazz as a veteran to close it out. One other question from Charlotte for you, and we'll talk about broadcasting. So you played with a guy named Steve Smith. A lot of folks know him as an Atlanta Hawks guy. His jersey is actually... Next time you're in the city, his jersey is in the classic section at the NBA store right now. $140. Okay. Good find, Steve Smith. <laughs> yes. Uh, when you guys get together, or I'm, not when you get together, I'm sure maybe you do, but when you guys are calling the same games, so when you have a national TV game, maybe he's an analyst for Turner or NBA TV, do you guys ever get together and talk about your, your brief time together in Sharks? He did log 37 games. I think he might have been traded during that season. I can't confirm. I know he played the first game with you, but. Do you guys ever talk about your, your brief time together there? Yeah, we've talked about it on, on the times when I was when I worked with him, did some NBA TV, did some stuff with Smitty. Um, we, we used to have those conversations because at that time Smitty was a was a super elder statesman in the league. I was thought of as being a veteran at that time. Um, and so the two of us shared a lot of time of just sitting around talking about how what basketball used to be like what it, the difference is being on an expansion team as opposed to being on an already uh, uh, established basketball team. And, and so it, it, I think for Smitty, he had the same mindset that I did. And for him, a little bit different because he, this was, that was his last hurrah. Um, and so for him, it was trying to make sure that the city of Charlotte would be as proud of the Bobcats organization as they were proud of the Hornets organization for so long. And so we, we, would, we would just sit around and, and have 
Oh, I, I call it at this point, old folks talk uh, during, during that season. And, and uh, the biggest thing he always talked about was just how ornery I was. And, and, and so it, it was, we, we had, a, we had a fun time though. I, it was a good season. I thought that uh, we, we did all that we had to, and that we could to make sure that basketball was, uh, was done in the right way in Charlotte again. And you guys also played with my first favorite net. I'm a New Jersey guy, too. And you played with my first favorite net, Tamar Slay. It's cool to see here that he was on that roster, too. Yeah, Slay now lives down in Charlotte. He was uh, – and actually, I had, an a, I had an AAU team that we played under Slay's AAU program for one season. Uh, so he's doing, he's doing big things still in Charlotte, has his own program, just opened up a new gym. And so it was good to, to reconnect with him uh after so many years yeah that's really good to hear and good to see i'll have to definitely do some research into that and so we talked about you as a player and of course now we have Brevin knight the broadcaster color analyst for the grizzlies also does a little studio work so well first off tell me because i don't have this offhand Brevin. how what year did you start announcing with memphis uh this is the start of my 11th or 12th year uh, with the grizzlies okay so my question for you is, and obviously it's been a while, you're a lot more comfortable now, and it was definitely good right at the beginning, but how has your transition been from playing right to broadcasting? Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't have asked for a more seamless transition. The, the first year when I stopped playing, I did the radio for the Bobcats, and I did, some, I did college basketball. Uh, and then the next year, I came over to the Grizzlies and have been here since then, and so uh it's been it's, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing I've always loved talking the game of basketball I've always loved teaching the game of basketball and so this gives me that opportunity to still be excited about it in the gym close to it but a chance to teach people kind of what uh, NBA basketball is about what to look for uh and, and so it's I'm still in the fraternity and so uh, it's been, I've had two great places to be able to go back and work for the Bobcats doing the radio afterwards, which I, I, I love the Charlotte organization. We, we had great years living in Charlotte and being a part of that community, but really to be able to come back to Memphis, um, because this was the first organization that I started as an expansion team with playing for the Grizzlies, their first two seasons. And so to come back here to a place that we call homes, our kids uh, grew up here. Um, and so to be a part of this broadcast team, but also to be a part of this community, again, has been uh, really good for me. And now that you've been around the game as a commentator for so long, are there any, some of your favorite phrases you can remember you've uttered on air? Maybe your funniest moment, maybe your best moment, maybe your loudest moment? Well, it, at this point, any game with, that John Morant plays, and he's been here the last three seasons, you're going to hear some, me say something. A lot of it, I tell a lot of times, I almost forget that I am on TV and I almost <laughs> go into fan mode of just watching what he's able to do. So uh, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big phrase guy. We got some, some little things we do before the game, Pete and I, that I, I say every night that people look forward to. But outside of that, I kind of let the game take me where I'm going. A lot of, a lot of my, uh, I, I allow a lot of my raw emotions to still come through uh, on the telecast. And I, and I think that's what, 
what people appreciate about me is that uh, when, when you watch a Grizzlies game, first and foremost, you're going to know that you're watching a Grizzlies telecast. That's the point of having local TV. But it is not a biased. Uh, it's biased to a point, but we're, we are not super-duper homers in that. We recognize that there are still two teams on the floor. So I, I think I get a lot of joy out of being able to also explain what the other team is, is getting across. So no big words. I, 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 there's one I like to use a, a phrase called stick with itness, which people is just kind of guys that continue to hound somebody or stay after a play. Uh, but I, I, I just I, I pretty much every game you're going to get me the, the brevet night that you would meet away from the court at all times. I like that. And so you never give the, you never Brevin knight any players if they play well at the end of a game. That's never, that's never been a thing you guys have done. You never knight them like player of the game. No, I, I like that. We, we, we haven't, we haven't done that. We, we do a, on our pregame show every now and then we do a thing called night knowledge where there's something that is just life lifestyle. That's on my mind that I want to talk about. Uh, but I, I just, I just like to talk basketball, talk the game, let the game be be the show, and, and, and me kind of just being an, an addition to that to the great game that we had. I'm with that. Watching, I've been watching the NBA probably since I was. I mean, I can say I was watching it since I was three. I can't really back that up, but I've been playing N64 NBA games since I was three. So I guess technically, and there's no question that it's been a big part of my life. And be able to watch you and hear you on air has definitely been a fun journey. And now, Brevin. Last question for you, and then we'll wrap up today. This question is about the current Cavs. They're four and four. You guys saw them yep. opening night. Current thoughts on the team? Because as a, as a fan, from a fan perspective, I think things are going well. And it looks like maybe the Lowry market and small forward experiment is a lot better than maybe outsiders could have could have thought. Well, I don't like to say too many nice things about JB. So I, I, this is me <laughs> stepping outside of myself and. and I, I say that in all law. Uh, I, I love JB. He was with that uh, staff with Bernie. He was the assistant. But then JB also had the chance to take a beating from me when he was in college at Oregon State and I was at Stanford. So <laughs> we go back, we go back a long way. And I and I think that he's gonna be a, a absolutely fantastic coach for years to come. And I, I like I like what he has done with their team. And and what I like most is that. He's playing to what he thinks the strengths of his team are, not to what the NBA standards are. Or this is how we play, because to be able to start the front, that front line pretty much of three seven footers uh, gives them a, a great opportunity defensively to have length across the board. You can help well at the rim. You can contest shots. But then for those three guys to still be athletic doesn't hurt you going the other way. It's not as if you have three stiffs. Uh, and if marketing which the three position is probably his most comfortable. If he's going to be a three stretch four, maybe at some point in time also, uh, if he can continue to play that well, then I think they can, they can be a team that that will be a tough out for people as you go through uh, the season. The one thing that will always, that they'll have to, to continue to work on is to find consistent perimeter shooting. That, that is, that will be the one thing that they will be tested on. I think as the, the season goes along, uh, and, and that a lot of that will be on Garland. A lot of that will be on Sexton to be able to create plays. Osmond coming in, can he make shots consistently? So 
and I know you get Windler just comes back off injury. So uh, if they can make perimeter shots, then I, I think with that size uh, and, and with their uh, their guards and their quickness and their abilities to be able to create situations, then they're going they they have a, a very very bright future for themselves. I, I really like Mobley as a player and where he can go. I like I like everything you just said, and I will pretty I. I'm just going to agree with it because I, it's great sentiments and I think that great days are ahead and it's good to see because it's great that you're a part of the last non-LeBron playoff season for the franchise. You also have to remember that every player in the starting lineup now was not alive back then. That's how exactly. long it's been. So. <laughs> but I, hey, listen, I, root, I root very hard for, for the Cavs to have a good season as, as, as one of the places that I consider to, to be one of my homes. Uh, I, I will always be a fan uh, of Cavaliers basketball. I will always be a fan of the city of Cleveland. They, they were uh, as good to me as any place that I've ever been. And so uh, I always want nothing but success uh, for that organization. And hopefully both the Cavs and Grizzlies find their way into the playoffs without having to go through the play in this year. Long way still ahead, but Brevin, I want to say thank you for coming on today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, man, thanks for having me. And uh, enjoy the rest of the season. It's going to be a fun one. The NBA is back in the DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. The key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 free in bets. So why not make your roster Washington, 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 and Oh yeah, Washington. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook and authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. That was a word with former Cavs point guard Brevin Knight. Great to chat with him about his time in Cleveland, his NBA career, course his time as a broadcaster as well and now that we've done that now we've gotten Brevin on let's talk a little bit about the season I know it's been a while since I've been on Cavaliers I've been playing some good basketball just beat the Hornets last night picked up wins over Denver over Atlanta over the Clippers held Paul George in check Paul George has been going off all season so the fact that the Cavs have been able to slow him out and slow him down stop him was very impressive. We got six guys averaging in double figures early, have overcome an Isaac Okoro injury already to win some key games. Kevin Love was only making 35% of his shots, was averaging 10 and seven off the bench. Now he's in health and safety protocol. So who knows when we're going to see him again. Negative surprise, perhaps Dylan Windler, not in the rotation at all, has not played any normal minutes yet. We got a couple of third quarter minutes against Phoenix on Saturday, but he hasn't made a three. He's locked 20 minutes in four appearances. 
I mean, Denzel Valentine has more appearances than Dylan Winnaway for crying out loud. You got to get that right. But let's jump right to the positives. All three members of the Cavs starting front court have been very good. It really doesn't matter that much yet that Larry Markman's only making 36% of his shots. That does have to improve, but he's averaging six rebounds. He doesn't need to rebound. He's a small forward right now. He's averaging 1.3 steals, 1.0 blocks. Again, one of six Cavs averaging at least a steal. You got Jarrett Allen, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 assists, a block and a steal. Had a massive double-double against Charlotte. And you got Evan Mobley. He's only played eight NBA games, making almost 50% of his 11 attempts a contest. 14 points, eight rebounds, three assists, a steal and a half, and a block and a half. He has been incredible for this team thus far. And the only real negative is Colin Sexton, and that's bad. Like, this is kind of a problem. His scoring is dipped to 17 a game, which is by far a career low. 3.4 rebounds, 1.9 assists. And yes, guys are missing shots when he passes. But let's pull up his game log. His minutes have been slightly down. His opportunities have been down, but this is not what you want. So Sexton, here are his game-by-game point totals. I, I don't understand a lot of this. 17, 33, 12, 14, 26, 9, 10, and 17. And three of the Cavs' four wins, he has under 20 points. The only game he went over in a win was against the Clippers, where he played very nicely, 12 of 20. His three shooting is down. He's not making them. He's still getting to the free throw line. He's been there at least three times every game. But his opportunities are just down. His plus minus has been bad. There's really his best net rating in a game. Well, he was plus 17 against the Clippers, plus 10 against the Nuggets. But in the last three, he's a net negative 34. He's locked under 30 minutes on several occasions. He'll turn 23 at the start of the new year. I don't understand exactly what they're doing with him right now, why it's not how it is, why it's not working, I should say. But it's not. Maybe part of the issue, Ricky Rubio is averaging... 13 points, four rebounds, seven assists, steal and a half. He's only making 37% of his shots, but he's brought good energy off the bench. He's made a couple of spot starts already. Ricky Rubio and Larry Markkinen, along with Evan Mobley, have been tremendous additions. That is good work by the organization. You know, they decided to do kind of like what the Bucks do, you know, just extreme length. You got three guys, seven feet tall, all starting together and I thought it was crazy at first but it's really worked out it's been fun to see they're causing a lot of problems on defense like Lacoro gets back out there and all those guys can protect the rim if they need to they can rebound two of them can step out and hit jump shots I mean, Cleveland still has plenty of holes, but on the positive side, Jetty Osman with shooting splits of 50% from the floor, 48% from three so far. Jetty's made 15 of 31 threes. The fact that the Cavs have no one with more than 15 makes is kind of a problem. They need to make a lot more threes, making less than 10 a game, making about nine. 
but they'll be fine in that category. The scoring balance is really nice. And I really would like to see Sexton get going though. Hasn't been great to see their ninth and offensive rebound percentage, fifth and free throw attempts to field goal attempts. They're really getting to the line. That's something that's been good to see. 76% of the team is not bad at all. But Colin Sexton, 72%. Yeah, no. He's supposed to be a scorer, a shooter. He's got to make more. Jared Allen, <clears throat> 14 out of 25, not great. But we look at the year, Cavs are averaging four blocks a game. They're averaging eight steals. And I think that there's a lot we can be happy about right now. Although early this year, health and safety protocol has already started to become a factor. <clears throat> we just lost Kevin Love. The Bucks. The Sixers lost Tobias Harris. The Bucks lost Chris Middleton. So if you're in COVID protocol and you have the vaccine, that is usually not a good thing. It means that you still got the virus. Hopefully those guys are all okay. But for the Cavs sake, with Kevin Love out, it's a very important time because now they'll know, you know what they have in Dean Wade because Dean Wade has barely gotten on the court this year. Definitely like to see him get more burn, but you, you guess you can't with $30 million a year. Kevin Love also on the table here. But I look at the season. The win over the Clippers was great. The win over the Hawks was fantastic. They have won some great contests in the early season. They have a lot to offer. And as a basketball team, you know, maybe the plan is within the cards. They, they could get to the plan. It's certainly a possibility. And should that actually happen, I think it would be fantastic. I think that they finally get a chance to play a great team in a must win game because you can't fake these experiences. You need to have them. As a team, you gotta be battle tested. Your young guys need opportunities to grow. And that won't happen if you don't have those, those big games. It's a long year, we got 74 games left, but let's look ahead to the rest of the week for who the Cavs have coming up. Currently sitting at four and four. <clears throat> we got Portland Wednesday, Toronto Friday, and then the Knicks on Sunday. So, Having actually just been at Knicks Raptors last night, I truly think we have a chance against New York with the length we have on defense. Toronto held Julius Randle to four points after the opening quarter. And two of those points, two of those points came in garbage time as the game was about to touch zero and the clock was about to expire. So that being said, we can stop Julius Randle. I have no qualms with Mobley, Markkinen, even Allen for a little while. Portland's a bit tough. I think we can beat the Blazers. I just think that you got to win the three-point battle somehow. Dame and, and CJ can go off on you. Nurkic is, is, is a load, but again, with the length on defense, maybe Markkinen or Mobley will do a little perimeter guarding as they one of them has to because they all start together. Hopefully a coral maybe comes back for the Portland game, maybe. But, you know, we, we look at the situation and Portland is very up and down, very up, very down. I'm gonna call it a win. I just think the Cavs bench is better. 
So I think the Raptors will be a loss. Having just seen last night, they won without Scotty Barnes. OJ and Obi dropped 36. Gary Trent Jr. looked really good. That is a talented bunch, and I just think that you you not you can't win them all. There's some really good teams out there, and that's just the game. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Cavs will go two and one the rest of the week, and then we're on to the fourth of the season. So that's gonna do it for this edition of the Cavs. One again, big shout out to Revan Knight. It was a pleasure having him on. And we will see you next time on Across the Cats.